was terrified. It was like she was looking straight through me. Nature's deadliest organisms. And then, sure enough, bam, this shooting pain comes up from my scrotum. They hijack our bodies. I had not seen anything like this before, nor do I anticipate I ever will. Disable our immune systems. I was pretty sure I was going to die. And eat us from within. This monster is the stuff of nightmares. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Heather and Jonathan Baker live in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm very much an extrovert. I love people. I love to be on the go, very busy. I would say I'm a more introverted person. I like quiet time. We're total opposites. I think that's a big part of what drew us together. Jonathan is an architect, and Heather is a stay-at-home mom. They have three children, seven-year-old Lennon, three-year-old Ashton, and three-month-old Skylar. Lennon's really talkative. He's excited all the time. Ashton is a spitfire. She loves to be a life of a party. Skylar's a really happy baby. Always laughing and smiling. During the weekends, the couple enjoys exploring the city with their kids. We'd go to the zoo quite a bit, and then finding new parks and new trails to go on. Just making sure we're all spending a lot of time together as a family. But one December afternoon, the baker's happy routine is interrupted. Jonathan is at work, and Heather is getting ready to feed her youngest child, Skylar. I sat down on the couch, and I noticed at that point that she did not seem interested at all in feeding. She was not latching on, and she was drooling quite a bit. She typically is a very good feeder. I just didn't know what was wrong. Heather decides to wait a few hours before trying to feed Skylar again. But that evening, her daughter still won't eat. Heather then notices something else. She started this really strange cry. It sounded almost like a cat's groan. So I called Jonathan into the room and I told him I was really concerned. I'd never heard her cry like that before. It was a weak cry, it was kind of a moaning. I thought maybe she's getting a little sick. I took Skylar's temperature and it was normal, so I wasn't too worried. After he checked her temp, I think it did calm me down. So we gave Skylar a bath that night. She went to bed like normal, there was no issues at all. Later that night, Heather wakes up to hear Skylar crying again. Normally, this is a sign that her daughter is hungry. But Skylar still refuses to nurse. It had been at least 12 hours, if not a little more, since she had last fed. I felt like she should have been screaming at us at that point to eat. As Heather places her daughter back in the crib, she spots something alarming. Her eyes were really glazed over and dazed, and it was like, it was like she was looking straight through me. Heather calls Jonathan into the nursery again and he tries to get a response from Skylar. I pinched her leg, trying to move her around, trying to get her to respond in some way. When she didn't respond, I knew something was really wrong. I felt like Skylar definitely needed to go to the hospital, and I called 911. 
A short time later, the paramedics arrive at Heather and Jonathan's house. But as they're checking Skylar, something unexpected happens. Skylar seemed to be more alert. I definitely was relieved when she woke up, but I still was really concerned for her. Her vitals were all normal. So at the time, the paramedics felt like she was okay. They did not want to take her to the hospital. They didn't really seem concerned at that point. Nothing seemed wrong according to their examination. I knew that something was really wrong. I did explain to the paramedics that she had been non-responsive before this. So I just demanded at that point that they take her down to the children's hospital. This was one of those moments where I felt like, as a mom, they needed to listen to me and get her to where she needed to be. The paramedics finally take Skylar to the hospital. But by that time, the little girl's condition has worsened. She had become really lethargic again and was going in and out. Skylar's case is taken on by pediatrician Dr. Latoya Oglesby. So when Skylar first arrived at the emergency room, she was lethargic, appeared to be dehydrated. The first step was to give her IV fluids. But when the nurses try to insert the IV, something doesn't feel right. She wasn't even flinching or crying or anything at all. This was really crazy, you know, 12 to 24 hours before she was totally normal. Doctors take a round of blood and urine samples. She'd had a multitude of tests run, and the results were all negative. They decided to admit Skylar into the hospital because at this point they still were unsure what was going on. How can they save her if they don't know what's wrong? The next morning, doctors ask Heather to try nursing Skylar to test how responsive she is. But then when I was trying to feed her, I noticed that she actually seemed like she couldn't swallow the milk. It would just start drooling outside of the mouth. When Dr. Oglesby investigates the new symptom, she discovers something alarming. They looked into her mouth and noticed that she did not have a gag reflex. A gag reflex is an involuntary contraction of the throat triggered when an object touches certain areas of the mouth. The reflex is critical in helping to protect the body from choking. Without a gag reflex, I was concerned that she would not be able to protect her airway and not be able to breathe. So at this point, I became very scared for Skylar. Doctors transfer Skylar to the intensive care unit. I felt like my baby was slipping away. It's hard to see your baby hooked up to all the machines. She was barely hanging on. I felt like she was going to die. Three-month-old Skylar Baker is in the ICU struggling to breathe. And doctors are in a race against time to discover why. One theory is that something is affecting Skylar's muscles. So the next test ordered was an electromyography. Electromyography, or EMG, is a diagnostic procedure to assess the health of muscles and the nerve cells that control them. It checks the electrical activity of the muscles to figure out if it's a nerve problem or muscle problem. The EMG confirms there is a problem with Skylar's nervous system. It was the reason that she did not have a gag reflex. It was causing paralysis of her muscles. Because of Skylar's lethargy and poor feeding, 
doctors suspect a particular strain of bacteria could be responsible. To confirm its presence, they conduct one final procedure. So we sent a stool sample to be tested. I was just praying that they would find out what was wrong. The results of the test showed Skylar had infant botulism. Infant botulism is a rare but serious condition caused by exposure to the bacteria Clostridium botulinum. Inside Skylar's body, spores of the bacteria colonize along her gastrointestinal tract. There, they release powerful neurotoxins that bind to her nerve cells, incapacitating Skylar's muscles, leading to her difficulty breathing, inability to nurse, and limpness. When I heard she had infant botulism, I didn't know exactly what it was. I really didn't know what was going to happen, what that meant. What makes the Clostridium botulinum bacteria so deadly is its neurotoxin. It's one of the most lethal substances found in nature. A trace amount is enough to kill an infant. And up to one in 10 victims who contract the bacteria will not survive. Infant botulism is very serious. Um, it can lead to respiratory failure and death. Sorry. Doctors give Skylar a special antitoxin in the hopes it will save her life. After she received the medication, it was just a waiting game at that point. For two days, Heather and Jonathan hold vigil by Skylar's bedside. It seemed like maybe the medicine wasn't working. It just felt like she was continuing to get worse. Then, something remarkable happens. I was with Skylar. She opened her eyes. Light was in her eyes. Doctors are cautiously optimistic that with the antitoxin, the effects of the botulism bacteria are contained. But as they wait for Skylar to fully recover, they're left to wonder how she contracted the disease in the first place. Infant botulism occurs when babies under the age of one ingest Clostridium botulinum spores. One potential source is honey, but the spores can also be found in soil and even in dust. It's rare, but it is possible that near construction or agricultural sites, contaminated soil could be disturbed, putting young children at risk of inhaling harmful spores. We live in an area where there's definitely a lot of construction and they're building constantly. I would often um, walk Skylar to different nature trails or sometimes around our neighborhood. So there was a good chance she could have inhaled a spore in any of those areas. A week later, Skylar regains enough strength to be sent home. Time went on. She just kept getting stronger and stronger. And today, Skylar has made a full recovery. This is just a great relief. We're, we're excited that she could gag again, which is, you know, a strange thing to be excited about, but that was, that was huge for us. Cases of infant botulism are extremely rare. On average, fewer than 100 are reported in the U.S. each year. Many cannot be prevented because the bacteria that causes infant botulism is found in soil and dust. However, the CDC recommends you not give honey to infants under the age of one. But while some monsters hide in plain sight, others lurk in places far more discreet. And then... Sure enough, bam, 
I have this horrible, horrible pain. Mark and Brenda Johnstone live in the small town of Bayou Vista, Texas. First time I saw Brenda, like, man, she's just lights up the room. From that day, I knew that's going to be my girl. Mark means the world to me. He's a very loving husband, and he's very appreciative of of anything I do. He likes my cooking, so. (laughs) Together, Mark and Brenda run a computer repair shop. And when they're not working, the couple enjoys exploring the world. Our travels have taken us all over Costa Rica, Guatemala, Honduras, many places in Mexico. We both like to be outdoors a lot. And Mark, he loves to fish. Throw the fishing lure out there is my way of relaxing. It's wonderful. But one warm December day, Mark's peaceful life is turned upside down. After a full day of fishing off the Texas coast, Mark is returning home. Sun was going down, beautiful night. And then I got this weird kind of tingling feeling down there in my scrotum. Kind of numbing and kind of itchy. It was a sensation that I've never really felt before. But I thought, well, maybe my shorts are too tight or who knows. So didn't think anything of it. A few days later, Mark and Brenda are out doing some Christmas shopping. It was that time of year. She's looking at some gifts to buy. And I'm just kind of disinterested, looking at other stuff. And I get this weird little pain again. And all of a sudden, this thing went from a little tingly numbness to some biting pain. And I'm thinking, holy smokes. What in the heck is going on? Mark Johnstone had been experiencing a niggling sensation in his groin, but now suddenly it's turned into a stabbing pain. It just rushed into my scrotum. It was so sharp, it was kind of like I jerked my arms around, knocked the dang shirt off of the rack. I noticed something fly off the rack, and I turned around, and Mark is flailing around, and I thought that uh, maybe it was just being one of his clumsy episodes that he normally has, and and he just tripped over something. I just kind of put the clothes back up on the rack. I hustled into the restroom, dropped my drawers just to see what the heck's going on. Just kind of felt around. By now, the pain had stopped. I'm thinking, it's just a cramp or something that just happens to guys. So I didn't say anything. Found Brenda in the checkout line. We went on home. Two nights later, Mark is lying in bed with Brenda asleep at his side. Just watching the late show, that shooting pain comes up. And just makes me twist, fall on the floor. I was awakened by Mark, and he had fallen off the bed. I didn't know what the heck was going on. Finally, Mark tells Brenda about his bouts of pain. 
I was very concerned. I kept trying to think, what could it possibly be? And she looks at me like, let me see what's going on. Uh, that just doesn't sound right. So I kind of started looking around. And then finally, lifting everything up, I looked down at the bottom, and that's when I spotted it. Red raised bump, and there was a small opening where there was liquid coming out. It looked like a very bad bug bite. Well, okay, that makes sense. It's just an infected mosquito bite. I can handle that. I thought for safety's sake that he really should go have it checked out. Mark's very stubborn when it comes to going to the doctor. So he was very reluctant, but this was ridiculous. The next day, at Brenda's urging, Mark visits the family physician. The doctor started to examine me. Says, well, looks like something's infected down there. He said it was just an infected, ingrown hair. An ingrown hair occurs when a shaved or tweezed hair curls back into the skin. If untreated, it can cause inflammation and produce painful boil-like bumps. The doctor prescribes antibiotics to treat the infection. When the doctor said that he thought it could be an ingrown hair, I thought that was kind of unusual that that would cause that much pain. Still, Mark decides to try the treatment. Over the next few days, he takes the medication. But one evening at the shop, his condition takes a turn for the worse. I felt that tingling sensation again. And I went to scratch. And when I did, I, I noticed something was different. There was something moving around, a pillar or something, crawling around. Holy smokes. There's, there's something alive inside my scrotum. Mark Johnstone has been suffering from excruciating bouts of pain. And now he's just felt something moving inside his body. And after the movement stopped, sure enough, there came the shooting pain. Just knocked me on the floor. I heard this crash, so I ran to the back to see him. Mark's moaning and rolling around in pain. I was very scared. I was very scared for Mark. I think there's something crawling around in my scrotum. Maybe I am going crazy. Mark is finally forced to face the reality that something is invading his body. So he makes an emergency appointment with urologist Dr. Gabriel Rodriguez. So in examining Mark, the first inspection that I could see what seemed to be a mosquito bite type of lesion. I knew we needed to move into a procedure room to get further analysis of what was happening. 30 minutes later, Mark is prepped for surgery. Brenda stays by his side for support. The doctor is just cutting for what seems like an eternity, and I begin to wonder, is this worse than what I thought? Is he going to amputate my scrotum? Is it something the doctor's not telling you? Is he going to die? And he says there was something in there moving around. He says, 
Oh my God, it's alive. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Something was burrowing itself into the scrotum. I had not seen anything like this before, nor do I anticipate I ever will. Mark had botfly larvae in his scrotum. Botflies are a family of winged insects indigenous to Central and South America, known for gestating their larvae inside the bodies of mammals. In Mark's case, the maggot burrowed into the skin of his scrotum. Once inside, it feeds on blood and tissue and grows in size. To prevent itself from being pulled out, the maggot hooks a set of jagged spines into the flesh of Mark's scrotum leading to his raised lesion and stabbing pains. I couldn't believe that this thing had been crawling around inside me for weeks. It really was creepy. Botfly larvae have been known to grow to nearly an inch in length and can embed anywhere on the skin. They typically enter through the arms, legs, or scalp, but in extremely rare cases, they have been found in the genitalia. This maggot that we removed was about the size of a chickpea. To our knowledge, this is the very first case of botfly scrotal infestation in the United States. So how did botfly larvae get into Mark's scrotum? When the female botfly is ready to lay its eggs, it ambushes a mosquito mid-flight and then glues its eggs to the insect's underside. Then, when the mosquito lands on a human, the eggs fall onto the skin, and body heat causes them to hatch into larvae. The botfly larvae then burrow into the skin and feed on the human blood and tissue. Brynn and I visited Costa Rica around Thanksgiving. So I'm changing clothes, but it was out there in the jungle. The mosquitoes were terrible out that night. That's probably where I got bit. Botfly infestations are rare. Each year in the U.S., only a couple of dozen cases are reported, and they're among people returning from endemic areas in Central and South America. However, to help avoid the botfly larvae, travelers are advised to cover exposed skin and wear deep-based insect repellent. Today, Mark is pain-free and back to enjoying his life with Brenda. I think this little adventurous uh, episode brought us closer together. As far as our travels go, we're just as adventurous as these, as we ever were. However, we do bring along a little more insect repellent. Monsters that invade our bodies are terrifying. And when some attack, they can pose a mortal threat. I didn't know what was happening to me. They are letting me die. 
Anne Siegenhorn and her husband Joel live in Shalimar, a small town on Florida's panhandle. Joel was a bartender and DJ at a nightclub that I used to go to with a friend. And he made me laugh, made me feel pretty too, because he was always flirting with me. <laughs> she was strikingly beautiful. She walked in the bar that I was working at and just lit up the room. Joel works as a scrub nurse in a hospital, and Anne is a dental hygienist. But her real passion lies elsewhere. When I was in junior high, I went to a modeling class, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I love walking the runway. I love getting in front of the camera. Together, the couple has two children, 14-year-old Leah and 12-year-old Aiden. We're a very close family. I'll take the kids anywhere, everywhere. I'm the cool mom. <laughs> but an unforeseen threat will push this family's bond to the limit. One evening, Anne and Joel are preparing for a night out together. I was trying on an outfit for us to go out to dinner. Started to put the clothes on and my button's a little tight. So I was just kind of like, how did that happen? I immediately got on the scale. The scale said I had an extra four and a half pounds on me. I modeled swimwear for local stores, and I had to just always look my best. Anne resolves to pay closer attention to what she eats. But after a week of dieting, her efforts are in vain. I'd gotten on the scale, 10 pounds. So it went from four and a half to now I'm 10 pounds over. There should be no reason for me to gain weight. I should actually be losing weight. Anne asks Joel for his opinion. I could tell that she was getting a little bit bigger. I told her she was cheating. I figured she had some Snickers hidden away or something. I started to get defensive because I have not cheated. I have been doing everything perfectly. I said, it's not a big deal. We'll just have to walk farther on the beach next time. Nothing to get upset about. But over the next three months, Anne gains a further 15 pounds, and the additional weight starts to affect her modeling. I felt like I looked bad in a bikini. Modeling was part of my identity, and I couldn't do that anymore. Reluctantly, Anne pulls out of the job. I was very embarrassed by this. It was very hard. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Anne is disappointed. But before long, she'll face losing far more than just her career. Over the last three months, Anne Siegenhorn has put on more than 20 pounds, and she has no idea why. Then one morning, she is shocked by a new development. Anne is in the kitchen when her daughter hands her a form to sign. I'm looking at the papers. The words look like they're all blurred together. She starts squinting and holds the paper closer and was muttering how she couldn't read it. I start getting a little concerned, like, my mother's always been okay, what's happening? Why can't she read a simple paper? Concerned by her sudden loss of vision, the next day, Anne visits her physician. The doctor did a full exam on me and did a general blood panel test. Based on the test results, she diagnosed me with hyperthyroidism. Hyperthyroidism is a condition that affects the thyroid, a gland in the neck that regulates the body's metabolism. Symptoms can include fatigue, blurry vision, and in some cases, weight gain. She was gonna put me on some medication for the hyperthyroid. My vision should straighten out, my weight should come off. 
I was very hopeful that this thyroid issue is the answer. For several weeks, Anne takes the medication, but she still suffers with blurred vision and continues to put on weight. Then one day Anne is at work at the dental practice when she is struck by a mysterious sensation. I was working on a patient and I noticed that my thumb was stiffening up. To Anne's horror, the pain steadily gets worse. It felt like the pressure from bending my thumb at that knuckle radiated up to my elbow. And it was a very sharp burning sensation. I picked the air water syringe up again to rinse my patient and the instrument just flies out. I was mortified. I was like, I am so sorry. I'm thinking, this is not normal. I've got to get this figured out. Anne consults with several doctors who run multiple tests before she's finally diagnosed with lupus. Lupus is a chronic condition that causes the immune system to attack healthy tissue. Symptoms can include joint pain, blurred vision, and weight gain. He said, I'm going to put you on this medication and you're going to start to feel better. However, over the next year, Anne experiences severe bouts of blurry vision, crippling pain in her hands, and gains 30 pounds. I was very frustrated. A year goes by. I see doctor after doctor after doctor. Nobody can pin all these pieces together. They're telling me that I'm crazy. We don't know what to do with you. And it's not just Anne's health that's being affected. A lack of answers starts taking a toll on her family. Every day there was another symptom. If there's no explanation that the doctors can come up with, I was beginning to wonder about her mental stability. I didn't think she was that sick. He's just thinking, you were just making stuff up. Made me feel like crap. Anne is left to battle worsening pain in her hands alone. Then one morning, she wakes up to discover her condition has spread. I get up to go walk to the bathroom. And as soon as I go to stand, I fall. So I tried to pull myself up on the bed with my elbows, and then I fell right back down. My legs aren't working. I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought, no one's getting this. They are letting me die. Anne Siegenhorn is suffering from a mysterious illness. It's affecting her weight, her eyesight, and now her ability to walk. Over the next few months, Anne visits multiple doctors, but no one can explain what's wrong. Then, Anne experiences a strange new sensation. From having pain in her arms and legs, she feels something in her chest. I noticed something wrong with my breasts. Fifteen years earlier, at the start of her modeling career, Anne had breast augmentation. I had one breast larger than the other, and I was a little self-conscious, so I ended up getting breast implants. But now it appears something is wrong with her implants. That was alarming to me, very alarming. Anne makes an emergency appointment with a specialist surgeon in Atlanta, Dr. Susan Kolb. Anne came in with complaints of discomfort, pain. She had neurological problems, and she was very ill. On physical exam, one breast was much smaller than the other. For Dr. Kolb, it's a sign that one of Anne's implants has ruptured. 
Because she was so ill, I felt that she should have surgery right away. Dr. Kolb takes Anne into the operating room. I made an incision and I pulled out the deflated implant. And what she finds is startling. The implant had fluid in it that was a brownish color. We can see things inside the implant that aren't supposed to be there, things that are floating. And I knew there was a problem. Dr. Kolb removes both implants and sends them to the pathologist for testing. When Ann wakes up from surgery, Dr. Kolb delivers the disturbing news. Based on the pathology, we were able to confirm that Ann's implant was filled with aspergillus. Aspergillus is a group of molds found in various climates worldwide. Inside Ann's breast implant, spores of aspergillus are reproducing. As the colonies grow, they release powerful toxins that are poisoning her body, leading to her weight gain, blurry vision, and numbness. I had never heard of aspergillus. I didn't even know what it was. Typically, women develop the sensory problems first, which is pain, numbness, and tingling. But then as the disease progresses and is more severe, the motor problems occur. And in many cases, the women end up in wheelchairs. One of the things that makes aspergillus so dangerous is that once it's inside the body, it's incredibly hard to detect. That's because the aspergillus spores spread quickly and trigger a wide range of symptoms that can be easily mistaken for far less serious conditions. But untreated, the fungus can eventually infect major organs like the lungs, kidneys, and brain, and in some cases, can be fatal. I was pretty sure I was going to die. I felt guilty. I said, I was sorry for not believing you. I was scared for her. She was really, really, really sick. I didn't want to lose my wife. And to make matters worse, neither Anne nor Joel know how the fungus got inside Anne's implant in the first place. Aspergillus spores thrive in warm, dark, moist environments like air conditioning units, composts, and damp or flood-damaged houses. Most people can inhale aspergillus spores without any serious harm. But for those with weakened immune systems, the spores can take hold. And inside the body, if they find the right conditions, the spores can quickly multiply. Doctors believe Anne inhaled aspergillus spores into her lungs. From there, they entered her bloodstream and into her implant through the faulty valve. The implant provided the perfect environment for the spores to grow, and as they did, toxins leaked back out through the valve, poisoning Anne's body. I do live in the south in a climate where there's mold, and I may have breathed something in. Dr. Kolb starts Anne on a powerful antifungal treatment plan. Most patients require four to six months of antifungals and you have to rotate them because the fungus will get resistant. For the next two years, Anne takes a wide range of medication. Today, it's been five years since Anne contracted aspergillus, and she is still recovering from her ordeal. I'm 75 to 80% better than what I was. The swelling of the joints and the joint pain, gone. And I only just got my vision back to a normal range. 
but the experience has had one positive impact. It has built our marriage to be much stronger than what we ever could have imagined. I am proud of my wife. She's quite, quite the fighter. Each year in the U.S., more than 300,000 women undergo breast augmentation, and up to one in five of those implants will fail within 10 years. It's strongly recommended that women with implants experiencing medical problems consult their physician to have their implants checked.